I used to live in Shakopee for my last priestly assignment. I lived at St. Mark's Rectory, and then I drive up to where I served at Pax Christi and Eden Prairie. And I love to walk around the neighborhoods by the rectory in Shakopee. It's a really peaceful part of the city. And there in Shakopee is located Rar Malt. It's the largest single-site malting operation in the world. It's right there in Shakopee. And all week long, big trains come in filled with barley seed, and then trains leave filled with malt that goes into our beer and our bread and all kinds of other stuff we eat. And as I walk around town by, the, by raw malt and some other places, all the time I would see all over the place barley seeds. They'd come off the trains, out of the factory, and they'd just be everywhere. On the tracks, on the sidewalk, in the fields, on your car, all kinds of places. This barley was just everywhere. It was all over the place. And sometimes in the summer and the fall, you would find some little stalks of barley growing up and bearing fruit in the most random places from those seeds that had been scattered. Seeds is the name of today's message in this seven-week homily series called Harvest. We've been talking about evangelization because the harvest is... The harvest is... Abundant. And who are the workers for this harvest? Friends, who are the workers? We are. We are you and me. Our co-workers with Christ to bring in the harvest. To evangelize simply means to bring in the harvest of God's sons and daughters. He's already been growing. The first thing I want you to notice about this parable today, before we even get to the different kinds of soils, is just how much seed the sower is scattering around. Like it seems like if you're a farmer, you'd want to just only sow the seed in the good soil, in that deep, rich, black, North Dakota loamy soil, right? Seed's expensive, especially in biblical times. But it seems like the sower is just kind of happy to have this seed scattered all over the place, on the path, on the rocky ground, where there's some thorns already growing, and of course, in the rich soil. This sower, of course, represents Christ Jesus, sowing the word of God. And so this, this tells us something about how God is and how God acts. God is not stingy or constrained in how he scatters the life-giving word. He's generous you might even say prodigal, over the top. He just scatters his seed all over the world, all over our hearts, to see where it'll find good soil. The seed is always good. The seed has a power of itself. That's what the Word of God is. It's how our hearts are that determines how much fruit it'll bear, if it bears fruit at all. It's our hearts and our lives that will determine how we receive that Word and what happens to it. But the seed is good. And Christ is happy to scatter it all over the place to see what happens, to generate a great harvest. If that's true, it means that we should imitate Christ in how we evangelize. That we should not be constrained or stingy, but we should be happy to scatter the word of God far and wide. Preaching the word, spreading the word, speaking about the Lord 
doing acts of love, everything we can do to spread that word far and wide so generously and prodigally and over the top like Christ. See, that's actually like a very relieving thing because it means that as you and I strive to be evangelists who bring in the harvest, it means you don't need to figure out what kind of soil you're sowing on. That's not your job. In fact, you actually don't know the soil of what's in someone's heart. You might have someone who goes to church very frequently, but when the word of God as a seed comes to them and invites them to go deeper in their faith, invites them to to really take a new step in their faith, they may become stone-cold resistant to that. I don't want to go there. I'm fine. I like where I am. They may be unfruitful when that word comes to them, even though they're in church. And you may have someone who says that she's an atheist, doesn't believe in God, and when the word of God as a seed comes to her one day, for some reason, it comes into her. It has roots. It begins to grow. She begins to believe. She begins to, to trust God. Who knows when that seed will crack open and bear fruit? We don't know. We can't see that. And so we just scatter. We just sow the seed of the word and leave the rest up to God. There's a beautiful quote from Thomas Merton that illustrates that he was an American Trappist monk, a great writer. He said, Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That is not our business, and in fact, it's nobody's business. What we are asked to do is to love, and this love itself will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. We could kind of actually paraphrase that with evangelization and say, our job is to scatter the seed without stopping to inquire whether someone deserves it or not. And by scattering that word, by sowing that seed, God will make us and our neighbor worthy. The practical tool I want to hand on to you today, and this will be your homework, is very simple. Sow the word of God. Sow the Word of God. Scatter the Word of God by knowing God's Word, by breathing God's Word, and by speaking God's Word. We'll go through all three of those. To know the Word, to breathe the Word, and to speak the Word. First of all, if we're going to sow the Word of God, we need to know the Bible. We need to know the words of God, know the words of Christ. Each day we should take time to read parts of the Bible, to read the Word. There's so many great opportunities like the Bible in your podcast, different kind of Catholic study Bibles. I admit that the Bible is hard to understand sometimes. So buy a study Bible that helps explain some of these things. You can join a Bible study. We have a a Wednesday Bible study starting soon that's going to go through the, the book of Proverbs. Some great practical wisdom for godly living. Know the Word of God. Spend time with the Word of God. St. Jerome said that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. As we know the Word of God, we fall in love with Christ more and more. We know where He goes. We think how He thinks. We desire how He desires. So know the Word of God so you can sow the Word of God. Secondly, we're called to breathe the Word of God 
even before we speak it. What does that mean? To breathe the word means to have it be like an atmosphere that's always around us. That's one reason why I bought a whole bunch of Bibles and put them in these book stands on the left and right of the church so that people could just grab a Bible coming in the church. We should have the Bible around us, the word of God, just as the air we breathe. So that means we can do things like when you rise or lay down, when you bring your kids to their camp, when you get in the car, is there a scripture verse that you can have with you just to say, to pray, just for 10 seconds? When you're having dinner with your kids, your grandkids, maybe you just pick one of the psalms. Go through the psalms one by one, and before you say grace before meals, a very short prayer, just read one of the psalms, proclaim one of the psalms. Maybe you frame a favorite Bible verse and keep it on your desk at work so people can see. Don't even need to have the citation there, but if people see that and ask, oh, what's, what's that word about? You can say, well, that's from the Bible. It's, it's my favorite scripture verse. Okay. You can enshrine the word of God in your home. Have the Bible in a special place with maybe some candles around it. Some are public. It's visible. So when people come in your home, they're like, oh, why is this book over here? What's this all about? Oh, they find the words of this book important. They find them important and beautiful because the word of God has a, a home within your house. All these little things we, we can do are, are ways that we breathe the word of God and let it become very, very familiar to us. So to sow the word of God, we should know the word of God. We should breathe the word of God. And finally, we should speak the word of God. Speaking it with our lips. Now, before I go into this last part, there's an adage that floats around a lot that goes like this. Maybe you've heard this. It's, it goes, preach the gospel at all times and when... Okay, so you guys know it. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And people are like, oh, that's from St. Francis of Assisi. What a great quote. Well, I have two problems with that quote. First of all, Francis never said it. It's a false attribution. <gasps> I know, right? Oh my gosh. And secondly, even though it's true that we should preach the gospel at all times and we should let the gospel be incarnate in our actions, absolutely, I think so often people can let themselves off the hook to never speak the word of God. I don't ever need to really speak the word of God or proclaim the word of God to other people because it's for somebody else. That's, that's not me, yes? When actually all of us are able to speak the word of God to help bring in the harvest and plant those seeds. So when I say, when I say speak the word of God, what am I talking about? Well, you know that guy, you know, who has all the tools? You know, in the garage or maybe his truck, he's got all the stuff you could ever need for your house projects. You know, the guy here like, oh, do you have like that, that wrench I need? Always has the right tools for the occasion. You want to know the word of God so well that you're that guy that you have all these tools in your tool belt ready to hand to someone with what they need. Things like when someone is lonely or afraid, you know Psalm 23, and you can say to them, you know, the scripture says, the Lord is your shepherd, and you lack for nothing. It says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, Lord. That's speaking the word of God. Or when someone is trying to make a decision, they aren't sure what to do, you know Proverbs 3, 5, and you can say, you know, Proverbs 3 says that trust in the Lord with all your heart 
And don't rely only on your own insight. Or when someone is actually seeking God, when they're seeking Jesus Christ, when they're having their spiritual conversion in their lives, you can say to them, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're speaking a word of the Lord that has power to it. Because it's not just your word, it's not just your ideas. It's the very words of God. And the word always, like that seed, will bear fruit if it finds good soil. The first reading says about the the word of the Lord, My word shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. God's word is so active. You speak the word of God, and maybe that person doesn't think about it for five years. And then something happens five years later, and that word you spoke to them, it's been waiting. It's been waiting for good soil. And now they remember, Jesus said that the only way to the Father is through him. Jesus, show me. Show me the Father. So we should speak the word of God in different occasions. We don't need to get on a soapbox and be like, Psalm 96 says. But just as you're with people, as you know people, as you're, in, as you're in the store, as you're going to work, be ready with those different tools that you can speak not just your own words, but the word of God in ways that people can really absorb it and find comfort and find trust. One of the most powerful things we can do is to speak not just any word of God, but to proclaim to other people the kerygma. This is really the gospel in nutshell form, the the nucleus of the gospel. We had a whole homily series on this two years ago called Kerygma in 2021. Kerygma just means a shout, a proclamation of what God has done in the world. And Kerygma really has four parts. The essence of the gospel. Created, captured, rescued, response. God created the world good out of pure love. He created you good out of pure love. But when humans disobeyed God and let sin into the world, sin messed everything up. And we're wounded and we're broken. And we can't fix ourselves. We were captured by an enemy. But three, God rescued us from that. He sent his son to deliver us from our sins by his saving death and resurrection. And he has poured out his Holy Spirit in our times to be reconciled to God, to be friends with God. And fourthly and finally, God waits our response. God says to Christ, will you trust me? Will you let me bring you into true life? That's the kerygma in four parts, created, captured, rescued, and response. And there's all kinds of scripture verses you can use to proclaim that. Things like 1 Corinthians 6, God raised the Lord and will raise us by his power. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All kinds of other ways that you can, with the word of God, proclaim the most important thing that's ever happened in the universe, that God came to rescue his people from death and that we can have true life, an eternal life that starts now. That word's powerful. Years back, I was on a, at a cocktail party on a skyscraper in Queens, New York. I remember people were talking about kind of like what people believe and what they're, what's important to them and kind of like what's, what are the big things in life. 
I remember I had this thing in me that was like the Holy Spirit, like, now's the time. Now's the time. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to do this, Lord. We'll see. And I proclaimed the kerygma to these people all around me. And it was really short, but I was basically just like, said what I just said about like, this is what God's done for us. And I, this is, I follow Jesus. He's saved us. And it was like, it's like when, you know, when someone like stops the music at a party, and it's like, you know, and like the whole, like all these people just like looked at me, people from like a hundred feet away, like other, other tables were like, what's going on? That was, that was weird. What happened over there? Because the word had a power to, I don't know what was happening in people's hearts. I know that people, some people stopped talking to me the rest of the cocktail party, but, but like I knew that that was the time that I was meant to be a herald, to proclaim what God had done in the world on the top of a skyscraper, and whatever it would happen, would happen. But I was called to plant the seed, to sow the word of God. And all of us can do that. All of us can do that in many, many different ways. So friends, your homework this week is to sow the word of God. To find a scripture passage that speaks to you. Maybe one that's more central about the mystery of our salvation in Jesus. Find a scripture passage that you like, that you pray with, that you try and memorize. Have that with you in your tool belt. And then ask God to show you this week someone you can share that with. In all simplicity, in all peace, in all gentleness. Again, it doesn't have to be the soapbox, but it can be when you're with someone, you know, can I share with you this amazing verse of scripture that really spoke to me this week? Here it is. And you just sow the seed. Do that one time this week. And then keep doing it. <laughs> sow the word of God. Scatter the seed far and wide. It's the, because of Christians like you and I, over the centuries who keep sowing the seed of the word, and it finds good soil. It's, re, it's like you and me, why the harvest continues to be abundant. So sow the seed of the word this week. Know the scriptures. Breathe the scriptures. Speak the scriptures. The Lord Jesus truly is the word of the Father. Let's ask for the grace now to sow him in every human heart.